How you guys doing? Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about the federal government's war on the Outlaws Motorcycle Club. More specifically, about Clarence Smitty Smith's ordeal that he has had to deal with with most of his life dating back to the 1980s when it wasn't the best time to be a biker, wasn't the best time to be a club member, and this is a horrific story of abuse by the federal government and especially law enforcement agencies. Also want to give a shout out to uh, BD for that awesome video yesterday. Uh, yes, we're not doing biker news anymore. We're doing a lot of other different stuff within the scene. Uh, I've been doing it for the past freaking four or five years or something like that. And it's just time to move on. So go to Big D, or not Big D, but BD for your biker news. Anyway... Don't forget also to join us on our uh, Motorcycle Madhouse Radio for our radio show right after this program, as well as visit our new website, www.MotorcycleMadhouse.com. Now, I always talk about how bad that the original one percenter clubs had with law enforcement. Late 70s, early 80s as you know in the 70s the hell's angels were the first one to get recoed out in california a law that i still don't believe is constitutional but of course in this country you got judges that lean one way or another they don't believe in reading the constitution as it is written no, they always throw in their opinions and stuff like that, and everything gets screwed all up. But, hey, that's the justice system that we have today. It's supposedly supposed to be blind, but we all know that it isn't. So that happened late 70s with uh, the 81, and then in the 80s, all kinds of clubs were having all kinds of difficult times because not only was it the Reagan era, but it was also a time where law enforcement was basically unleashed, nobody held them to account, and they went rogue. And this case is just unbelievable what they did to this man. This man beat I think it was five murder charges that were set up by law enforcement. It had to do with a lot of rats trying to get out of their own deals and since he was somebody within a position of the club threw him under the bus. The feds were pissed after he beat four murder charges. They were pissed. And then, in a RICO case against his brothers, he was helping them out, which only pissed them off even more. That's the problem with overzealous law enforcement in this country. They don't like it when you beat them. Instead, they try to make your life miserable. Clarence Smitty Smith 
did I think eight years, seven years, something like that on death row, on death row, because of some of the witnesses that came forward against him. The federal government is something else. I do not believe that you should be able to testify against someone else to get relief of your own sentence. But this is exactly what happened. And this is why I am so adamant about people looking at the stuff the old timers had to go through to have their diamonds. Not like today, you just throw them things on or you hand them out to people. That's not the way it's supposed to be because of what them gray beards did. The man we're going to be talking about today served his country. But that didn't matter to the government. What mattered to them was he ran a region of a club that they didn't like. Bikers didn't fit their moral outlook of things on life back then. Still, to today, they don't. So they got this get them attitude. And they abuse everything that's supposed to be sacred in this country. This is a messed up deal that he's went through. And it's also got its own deal. I think it is Death Row Stories or something like that. Season 3, I'll look. we're going to go into it. But it was hideous just going through all that and then going through the news reports on how this went down. This guy, again, beat all the raps, and what happened was the federal government tried him for some RICO stuff and then retried him for the murders that he was already found innocent on. Now, you would probably say, well... Isn't that double jeopardy? One would think so under the Constitution. Problem with that is, again, I'm going to bring up the type of judges that interpret things by their own opinion. So just because you were acquitted of said charges at the state level, they'll retry you again on it. And this time, they'll bring in a bunch of people that are trying to work off sentence deals. And also, an activist judge, after the jury was deadlocked, meaning beyond a reasonable doubt, they couldn't convict him. He said to go back into that jury room and try to get a verdict. Two hours later, they came back with guilty because they wanted to get out of there. Everybody knows people don't like doing jury duty. So that's how the federal judge worked it. So imagine beating a rap in state court and then getting charged in the federal. Now, let's talk about double jeopardy here for a minute. Wallen and Cleric, 
pretty good piece on this. Now, what is double jeopardy? Double jeopardy is a protected right guaranteed by the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. It means that you cannot be prosecuted twice for the same crime. However, the concept of double jeopardy is not well understood. Okay. So, if double jeopardy is protected by the Fifth Amendment, why is it not well understood? It seems kind of simple to me. You're found not guilty. You can't be charged again. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that another governmental jurisdiction can charge you for the same crimes that you were innocent of. This is where the messed up judges come in because they interpret it different. Many uh, people believe that once you tried and acquitted upon the circumstances leading up to a particular criminal charge, any government is forever barred from prosecuting you as well for the same crime arising from that same set of circumstances. They go, and this is a law firm, that is not necessarily true. Why isn't it necessarily true? Fifth Amendment says double jeopardy can't happen. So why isn't this true? It goes on to say, it all depends on what government is bringing the charges. Well, wait a second. Constitution doesn't say just because you're a state The federal government can say, screw your verdict. It doesn't say that. It all depends on what government is bringing the charges. From what I understand, the founders and their intent was that they didn't want a strong federal government. They wanted it to be states' rights. At least that was my understanding. So now, for example, it says here, while it is true that the state cannot retry a person for murder, once he or she has been found not guilty by a jury, double jeopardy does not mean that the federal government is forbidden from bringing its own murder prosecution provided the person violated both state and federal laws. Now, he goes on with a Utah case, the case of Roberto uh, Roman. He was a Mexican citizen who was facing charges of killing an on-duty county sheriff's deputy. Wrong way to go right there, because they're going to be on that ass for that one. He allegedly initially confessed to killing the deputy after she pulled over his vehicle. He later recanted, that's because they probably beat him to death almost, claiming another man, the deputy's brother, shot and killed her. Deputies had been tailing the two for several hours as part of an ongoing drug trafficking investigation. They prosecuted him for first-degree murder, Roman, of uh, killing a cop. The state jury eventually acquitted him. However, the U.S. government later charged Roman with intentionally killing a local uh, law enforcement officer. And because 
they had a drug aspect to this. That's how they brought it in. See, they use Rico to do it against Clarence. Is it double jeopardy to charge a crime at both the state and federal level? They go on to say no. Double jeopardy and dual sovereignty are completely different concepts. Well, wait a second. I know that federal holds the ultimate say-so over states now, and that was established after the Civil War. But I thought we were all one country and respected the state's laws. Guess that's not how it works. Nothing prevents uh, state and federal agencies from bringing similar criminal charges arising out of the same act against a single defendant so long as the crime can be charged at both state and federal level. Double jeopardy only applies, I guess, to one jurisdiction at a time. So basically, he was found innocent at the state level. So... Oh, wait a second. Now we got to bring it up to the federal level with a biased judge. The prosecutors using witnesses that were trying to fight off time into the federal case. His wife was not present at the first trial at the state level. She ran. Oh, I want to run because of my safety. Get out of here with that bullshit. But because she was busted on another deal, she was willing to come forward at the federal trial. If you don't know what uh, dual sovereignty is, I suggest you go and check it out. Uh... This was, and you know what? I learned a lot from just reading this blog about Double Jeopardy. And what it tells me is that this kind of stuff needs to reach a higher power, if you would ask me. A higher type of deal with the Supreme Court, maybe, but with what you got now, yeah. You're not going to get any justice on that type of stuff. It is a sad state of affairs knowing that if law enforcement can't stand you because you beat them in previous cases, they can still go after you and make your life miserable, but now at a federal level. That's not what this country is supposed to be about, and I don't think that's what the founders intended when they got double jeopardy protected within the fifth. Because if that's the case, what's stopping these people from running roughshod over everybody? Again, he beat... Four charges. Four charges. And then, as soon as he got off the death row, they tried to get him in Louisiana for a car bombing of a federal witness. This 
off the uh, words of two known rats that are trying to work off their sentences. Let's go to the bombing incident. This was his case right here in Louisiana at the state Supreme Court level. 81. Again, 81 wasn't the best for bikers. A bomb wired to the undercarriage of a pickup truck belonging to Robert Collins. He was a federal witness. Exploded when he applied the brakes as he was backing out of his driveway onto a public highway. The blast tore away both of his legs. Of course, it's a bomb. He died six days uh, later. A few days earlier, he testified in federal court against Burns, who had been indicted, along with Collins, uh, conspiracy to distribute cocaine. Hmm, interesting. The case was deemed unsolved until 83, when, here's the rat, Joseph J., uh, John Joseph J.J. Hall, former president of the Outlaw Motorcycle Club chapter in Tampa, and Carl Quick Carl Holly, also a member, told federal agents of their involvement in the bombing death of a federal witness. So why would these two point the finger at Smitty? Very easy. Because they were facing tons of time. But it was also interesting, if you go to this program, I think it's season three of Death Row Stories, they have Smitty talking about how he demoted uh, the president, I guess, this J.J. Hall. And these two had a real attitude towards him. So, there is a motive on why they threw him under the bus, and they probably figured, well, you know, he already was uh, acquitted of four murders, so maybe they can bring that in the trial, which I believe they did. But they never say, hey, he was acquitted. The judge wouldn't allow them to say it. So, these rats... Got to run a rough shot. Now, thankfully, the New Jersey, or not New Jersey, my bad, New Orleans jury didn't believe him. It goes on to say, Hall had been arrested in Buffalo, New York on a fugitive warrant in 82. He returned to Jacksonville to stand trial with other members for violation of the RICO Act. One of the predicate acts uh, were drug-related murder of Richard Earl Ricky Jones by Hall in Jacksonville, 1978. So, he was going up on a murder charge, plus RICO charges. Why not give up Smitty? Especially after Smitty demoted him, so he has a bone to pick. He, uh, let's see here. The Florida state attorney 
agreed to forego charges against him concerning any past conduct. He ultimately received concurrent 20-year terms on his wheat RICO, and then he got to plead guilty on second degree instead of face the chair. He went under uh, a series of debriefings with FBI agents de- uh, detailing all these crimes, supposedly. Hall wrote to Holly, who was a prison in Alabama, advising him to cooperate. Then this other guy negotiated a deal. Based on that information uh, by Hall and Holly, Smith and another guy was arrested and charged with first-degree murder of Collins. And the state built their case around what these guys had to say. Isn't it funny? Isn't it really funny how the government will try to wind a case around people that are known to be rats, guilty, liars? Isn't that funny? That people's life in this country can be affected by dirty law enforcement with a bone to pick. But then on top of that, they have to worry about witnesses cutting deals. Now, according to these guys, and we're going to take a look at this one real quick, Early 80s, Tampa Bay biker boss J.J. Hall joined Team USA after falling in outlaw MC case. And that went back, because this was written in 2017, it went 35 years, and it sent recently slain 59-year-old outlaw motorcycle club Lieutenant Louis DeLip to prison back in the 80s led to the cracking of two gangland homicides. Of course, this is from a cop's aspect. They talk about the car bomb of a federal witness. Hall and Keaton were two of 14 uh, from club chapters in Jacksonville and Tampa to be indicted in a wide-reaching RICO case brought in 1982. All but one of those arrested wound up being convicted at a high-profile jury later that year. Now, the indictment was for murder, attempted murder, narcotics, trafficking, extortion, blah, blah, blah. The murder count was tied to that 78 Jacksonville slain of Ricky Jones, and that was Hale, or Hall, that did that. Again, the guy who was testifying against Smitty. That's what the government built their case around. And the four murders occurred in Fort Lauderdale. Now, it goes on to say, and you're saying, well, what about this four murders? What are you talking about? Okay. According to the ex-broad who left right away after the, you know, before his first trial and disappeared off the face of the earth and then went and got busted up with some law enforcement stuff, came back 
and tried to tell the jury, and this is a federal case now, that the night before, a guy pushed her in the van, ripped her in, took his pecker off, jacked all over and said, you know what, tell Smitty this was for him. Next day, guys end up dead. That was the prosecution's case tied to an old lady that left and fled. And then the judge told them, the jury, because they could not reach a verdict to go back and try. Can't beat this kind of stuff. You really can't. Now, they also uh, testified again in that Louisiana deal. But what kind of country is this? That the federal government comes in and runs roughshod because they didn't like you. Here's a man who had a deal with five cases of being accused of homicide, beats them all, and next thing you know, they come all after him again because of their hatred for motorcycle clubs back then. That's what them clubs faced. It's not like today. You guys think profiling's bad today? Uh, yeah, it is. It sucks. But back then, with the old timers, it was hideous. This is the kind of tactics that these people took against them clubs. Now, for those that are starting the clubs that don't want to go the traditional path, can you actually see why they get pissed when you just throw a patch on? They get pissed because they had to face this kind of stuff. They had to earn it. Guys doing life in prison. Guys freaking going out there bleeding on the streets. Dealing with cops. Throwing them on the freaking ground. Every freaking part of their life was under a microscope. They earned it. So why do you think you don't have to follow tradition? Why? Because you say the U.S. Constitution guarantees you that? The Constitution guarantees you the right to happiness. But when you get on the street, it's a whole different set of rules. And that's what you morons don't understand. Put yourself in his shoes. How you would feel to have to go through something like that. Unbelievable business, man. And I, uh, the Death Row Stories is titled Feds versus the Outlaws. That's what it's titled. 
And right now it's playing on HBO Max. And I really hope that you go study the story of Clarence Smitty Smith. Because his case and his situation epitomizes the way law enforcement looked at people back in those days. It's a sad state of affairs, it really is. You also want to go look at Double Jeopardy and Dual Sovereignty. So, make sure to visit our new uh, website, www.MotorcycleMadhouse.com I'm going to go over to the Hollywood and China Dial show right now on MotorcycleMadhouseRadio.com That is live and start your morning with a hoop, baby But let me know your comments in the comments section And uh, yeah, sad state of affairs, man This whole damn thing And I think that Death Row Stories actually did a pretty decent piece on this case, even they weren't convinced of all this stuff, and they also knew that the feds overstepped what they should have been doing. Unfreaking real that this is happening in the United States of America, and especially with our veterans. This happened to a vet who served his country. Served this country. But we all know how the government treats our vets. Once they're done with you, it's throw you away. Sad stuff, man. Sad state of affairs. Anyway, you guys uh, enjoy your day. If you're not coming over to the MotorcycleMadhouseRadio.com, don't forget to like and subscribe to the station. I am out. Peace.